This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Massachusetts discussing a young woman who was murdered at a rest stop. And then we'll talk about a shocking crime on Cape Cod Bay. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Bay State. In the Wrong Place at the Wrong Time, by definition, is a situation where something bad happens to you because you are unlucky, not because you did anything wrong. We've all been there, in those situations where we look back and wonder, how the hell could that have happened? Whether it's driving and being hit, no fault of your own, or being the one who gets pulled over for speeding when everyone else is going just as fast. Sometimes it may be walking into a bar or restaurant where your recent ex and their new mate happen to be. Or worse, trying to make a deposit at your bank at the exact same time that a Jesse James wannabe decides to rob it. Sometimes, all these innocent things just happen to fall into place, creating a very unserendipitous ending. Alexandra Zapp, known as Allie to her friends, was 30 years old. She was a sailing instructor and charity fundraiser. She worked as a trainer for the U.S. Sailing Company. She had quit her job recently and was planning to move to New Zealand to work with the America's Cup organization. That may seem a bit crazy to some to move across the world all by yourself, but that was Allie, always up for an adventure. She had recently told a friend that she wanted to start flying planes next. Wow. Yeah. She was always on to another dream. On the night of July 17, 2002, Allie attended a charity cruise in Boston with her friend, Scully. He worked for Boston Magazine. Afterwards, they attended a concert at Fleet Boston Pavilion. So around 11 o'clock that night, Scully drove Allie back to her car. It was late, and he apologized to her for the fact that they hadn't eaten much. So, you know, she's like, hey, there's a Burger King on the way back to Newport, where she lived. About an hour later, on desolate Route 24, Allie stopped at the Burger King rest area in Bridgewater. According to investigators, she went inside, ordered a cheeseburger, then returned to her car to sleep for a few hours before the rest of her drive, which kind of... It makes me nervous. Strictly speculating here, but it's, I looked it up, it's about 72 miles between Hmm. Boston and Newport where she lived, Mm -hmm. so a little over an hour. So Hmm. I don't know if maybe she had some drinks and, yeah, was tired and wore out, Hmm. and so she was like, I'm going to eat this burger and just kind of rest my eyes. Anyways. Meanwhile, Paul Leahy, an employee at Burger King and a repeat sex offender who had 24 convictions at the age of 39. So he took his break. This was around 4 a.m. And, you know, he was kind of walking around the parking lot, smoking, looking for change. You know, he not at all worried about state laws, sex offenders, because they were so backlog and basically only tracking one in 20 sex offenders. Wow. So 85% of sexual, sexually dangerous criminals were Roman free in Massachusetts. Like, wow. They were just so far. Yeah. 
Paul watched as Allie got out of her car and walked back inside the rest stop and went into the women's bathroom. When she finished, she washed her hands, walked back to the bathroom door, and went to open it. Paul was standing on the other mm. side with a knife. How horrifying. Uh, it's 4 so, a.m. Okay, just, so this was after she'd ordered and everything. She, she was going back to go to the restroom. Basically, she like, she again, ordered probably. her food, mm-hmm. went back and got in her car, probably ate, dozed off, was going to take a nap, set an alarm, got up, went inside to pee before she got back on the road. Wow. So she opens the door to leave, and he's standing there with a knife. So he shoves her back inside, where he repeatedly stabs her as she fights for her life. She bit his fingers as he tried to muffle her screams. Scratch, she scratched his forearms when he put her in a chokehold. She headbutted him, kicked wow. him, clawed, screamed, but it was useless. He was two times her size. She was a tiny little petite 30-year-old yeah. woman. Plus, he had a knife. Yeah. He slammed the knife into the right side of her neck a half a dozen times. He jammed it into her chest another six times. He stabbed her chin, her left arm, her wrist, and the back of her right hand. So blood has covered the floor, the walls at this point, and the bathroom. And such a public place. I know and it's a, in the morning, but like it's a early, public, but like yeah. it's a rest stop or like a gas station yeah, I, that's 24 hours and there's a how many times have you stopped like in places like that being on a road trip a or something times. exactly like you never think gosh like no. an, an employee from the burger king is going ugh. like i i think they're the safe ones you know what i mean sure. not safe but no yeah if there's someone roaming around that sketchy but i don't think of people working there i wouldn't, I wouldn't think twice if i, I would saw, never yeah, no. yeah. No. Well, now I'm terrified. Well, yeah. So finally, she was still. Allie lay there with her eyes open, staring at Paul. He then drags her body into the third stall and places her on the toilet, wedging her head into the corner. She was covered in blood. Her hair was matted. Her mouth was open. And her, she had like on a white top and like some gingham pants or shorts and they were just covered brown so he didn't try to sexually assault her he just went straight to murdering her i mean he i guess we only know what he has he may have and she was like hell no and fought back and he never got the chance to assault her sounds like a scary movie at least she had all that dna probably under her and stuff. I don't know. Well, she bit him and scratched mm-hmm. him. And- so Paul goes to the sink to wash up. In the nearby men's bathroom, there just happened to be an off-duty state police lieutenant <sighs> named Steve O'Reilly who heard the muffled wow. screams, then two thumbs, and the water rushing. So he walks quietly out of the bathroom, down the hall to the women's bathroom, And he sees blood under the door. So he draws his gun, slowly opens the door, and sees the blood-covered walls, ceiling, everything, the smudged handprints on the stalls, like a scary movie. Paul is standing at the sink with a crazy-eyed look, knife in hand, covered in blood. He 
just, I mean, wrong, caught, yeah. wrong place at the wrong time turned into this cop being at the right place. I, it's just yeah. so. Not that, you know what I mean. Like, literally caught him red-handed. And it was a state police. Yeah. So he says, what's going on in here? And Paul says, I lost it. I just lost it. <laughs> For what reason? Yeah. Well. Yes. So he was arrested, obviously. Wow. And the charges against him were first-degree murder, kidnapping, armed robbery, and armed assault with intent to rob. Hmm. Yeah. Prosecutor Frank Middleton said, The evidence was overwhelming thanks to Lieutenant O'Reilly, who caught him. Yeah, I mean, how do you talk your way out of that? I I mean, I'm sure they tried his defender, but... There was also a statement that Paul made to the police where he confessed to stabbing Allie. Originally, he said he only stabbed her a couple times. Mm. Then when they confronted him with the autopsy report, he was like, okay, he admitted to it. So his criminal history dates back to 1981. Sexual offenses started in 1984, where he stabbed a 13-year-old babysitter in the neck at his brother's house. He only served six months for that. How? He didn't kill her. He just stabbed her. The, I know. This, I know. This, oh, I know. She could have easily died. It's in. Oh, I don't she's know. thirteen. Just because she didn't die right. is just almost sheer luck. He shouldn't. Oh, oh my gosh. So he served six months. Two months after he was released, he went into a pizza place, put a knife to the neck of a twenty-one-year-old female worker forced her into the bathroom, and raped her. Oh, my gosh. He would have killed her, but the doorbell rang. I guess it was kind of like a doorbell, like the pizza, like it was a pizza place, and the door was locked, and maybe you buzzed uh-huh. him in. Oh, okay. So the doorbell rings, distracting him, oh. and she was able to run away. He served 13 years for that. He was released in 1998 with no probation. Wow. No one was watching him, keeping tabs on him, nothing. Just living his life as a normal person, almost. In May of 2000, he was placed on probation after a DWI. Oh, that? Yeah, that's what what it did. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Cool, cool. cool. You can stab somebody and rape them, but don't don't drink and drive. So, uh, three months later... He lured two little girls. I say little girls. They were 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. He lures them into the woods where he asked for a blow mm-hmm. job. One of the girls was able to run away. He was arrested and convicted of accosting her and violating his parole. This time, the DA filed a petition to keep him locked up as a sexually dangerous predator. Yeah. Sounds it was denied. Why? <laughs> Judge said prosecutors failed to show that he was actually dangerous. The DA called in a forensic psychologist who submitted a report saying there is a serious risk of his, again, using a potentially lethal weapon with other females in the future. I would think so. But it didn't matter. He was still released from prison. Oh, my goodness. He moved in with his sister and eventually landed the job at Burger King. So that little backstory on him and his history. It's not like this guy just flipped out. I'm not, he had a long history. 24 charges. 
Does it get in depth? Did you hear anything about the sister? I just am thinking from her perspective how you not blaming her. Maybe she was no, terrified no. of him, and, but and having him in your house after you know he killed. So everything I read basically said they had a normal childhood uh-huh. and that their parents were normal. Like there was nothing to he. Their mother died when he was eighteen, mm-hmm. and he just kind of turned to drugs and violence. So I don't know if maybe that was the catalyst or maybe he had always been secretly a psychopath. Yeah. So the defense did not make a case to get the client acquitted of all the charges. Instead, they went on to prove that the death was not intentional or attempt to prove that it was not intentional. He argued that Paul's actions were in response to the circumstances confronting him that his intentions were not to hurt her, but to rob her, and the violence erupted spontaneously. What? Yeah. Did it say what kind of knife it was? I'm sure like from Burger King. Just one that like he had just been one used he grabbed cutting yeah, in the back. So prosecution showed the jury crime scene photos of this little petite woman and the violent struggle she endured before she died. Also, the clothes she had on that were soaked in blood and completely brown were framed in plexiglass and Mm. also shown to the jurors. She had been stabbed a total of 27 times, including including five that severed her aorta and jugular veins. She had escaped two times to the door, only to be caught and drugged back in by Paul. You have a knife, and you're two times bigger than me. You just say, give me all your money. I'm going to give you all my money. The whole, I was trying to rob her, and then it just, yeah, it's I ended up stabbing her 27. No. Mm-mm. She even tried to reason with him at one point, saying mm. she would tell people that he actually saved her from the attacker if he would just oh, let her go. Gosh. But he said, no one's going to believe you. So on September 27th, 2003... A jury of seven men and five women deliberated two hours and 15 minutes and found him guilty on all charges. Yeah. And he was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. Man. I know. It's crazy. It seems heartless. So after Allie's murder, her mom and stepdad moved from Portland, Oregon to Boston and founded the Allie Foundation in November of 2002. This charitable organization's mission is to prevent opportunities for violent sex offenders and to educate the public and advocate for necessary changes in cultures, attitude, and policy. One of the most critical responsibilities of this organization is to work for more comprehensive and evidence-based policies to effectively manage sex offenders as they move through the criminal justice system and the community. So they don't lose track and they don't get... So they don't reoffend. It kind of reminds me of the case I did of the Springfield Three, where it's not we don't know that that guy did it, but he did something in Florida and moved to Springfield. Right, and the basically the only people that were keeping track of his whereabouts were the family of the girl that he killed. Right, they're like, oh hey, he moved over here. You guys might want to. It's which I get that you know there are so many mm-hmm. that it probably is hard to keep yeah. track, but it seems like. Yeah, I don't know the answer 
But I'm just saying, if you don't pay your bills an and your wages get garnished, they should be able to keep up with sex offenders. I'm yeah. like, come on. They have a way of tracking people down. Yeah. So, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah. Something how do for you... sure needs to be done. But, yeah, he, like, nothing. No parole. Nobody was checking up on him. Super he history. He got away with yes. stuff so many times. That's what I'm saying. Like, so much history of violent crimes against women. And young Young girls. girls. Yes. So, yeah, just, she just happened to stop and, like we've all done so many times. Yeah. It's just terrible. Oh, my goodness. I didn't talk a lot about Allie. Um, She, from everything that I've read, loved adventures. She was bright, vibrant, and always busy, her mom said. Her and her little sister were inseparable. They grew up in a wealthy neighborhood in southwest Portland. She had a ton of friends. She'd moved to Boston at 22 after college Mm -hmm. and instantly had a whole new family of friends there and did a lot of charity work and was very busy and active. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't really a socialite as far as like just partying to party. She really believed in all the causes and did a lot of work with all the charities and stuff and terrible tragedy that her life ended so awful and And so young there's i mean nothing she could have she's just going to a rest stop like we've all done that's literally going to the bathroom scary oh my gosh now i have another thing to have (laughs) you have another thing you just get a diaper like Uh, that astronaut gosh yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of ways to um be prepared in that situation but really have, just strengthen numbers, wait until other women are going into the restroom. I mean, you, and, just, you don't think, though, like you said, yeah. just to stop at a... And someone could just be in there hiding, waiting. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, that's terrifying. I'm, yeah. Now I have all these things running through my mind, like how many murders have taken place at rest stops or gas stations? Uh, probably, probably more than we even... Yeah. And still you think it's like, not to like stereotype anybody, but you think it's like the big crazy scary looking guy in the semi that pulls up and not the guy someone loiters in the back yeah. Yeah. yeah no oh goodness okay so you know i'm all about unsolved mysteries of course and i have a doozy today it's hard for me to not just do one of these every week so people in new england have probably heard about this but it's new to me have you ever heard about the lady of the dunes no Sounds like a sci-fi movie. It does, and it kind of sounds more like a ghost story just based on the name. Or So this happened back in the 70s. It's also a little vintage On July 26th in 1974, a 13-year-old girl by the name of Leslie Metcalf was following her friend's dog to the Race Point Dunes in Provincetown, Massachusetts. So like a lot of dogs... It got a smell of something, and it was on a mission to find the source of the smell. And also, it is near the beach, and there are a lot of nasty smells that are out there. Yeah. So some articles were speculating why didn't someone notice the smell sooner, but I've smelled nasty smells all the time. I mean, even here with sewage, sometimes you smell something nasty. So anyway, the dog led Leslie to a decomposing body. Yeah, and so she's a 13-year-old girl seeing a dead body. So immediately she told an adult, 
and the body was 15 feet away from the nearby road and had a significant amount of insect activity. Yeah, so before getting into the details, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the town. So Provincetown is a small coastal resort town on the extreme tip of Cape Cod. It's like, kind of looks like a flexing arm. It's on the, mm-hmm. the tip of the fist, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, locals often refer to it as just P-Town. The year-round population is only about 3,000, but in the summer it can get up to like 60,000 people. So it's a huge resort town in the summer, and it's known for its beautiful beaches, art scenes, restaurants, and it's known as a favorite LGBTQ plus destination, according to its tourism website. From all the photos I saw, it looks right up my alley. It's super cute, charming, a lot of art and culture, and I'm just explaining all this to say it's not a place where a brutal crime happens, especially back in the 70s. So back to the crime scene. There were two sets of footprints leading to the body, and tire tracks were found 50 yards from the scene. So upon investigation, it was discovered that this was a Caucasian female, and she died approximately two weeks before she was discovered. So she was lying face down on a green beach towel, and there were no signs of a struggle. This led police to theorize maybe she was just taking a nap when she was killed, or maybe she knew the killer. They found a blue bandana and a pair of Wrangler jeans folded underneath her head. They did not find shoes, and they did not find a shirt or sweater. So the woman was said to have long auburn hair in a ponytail with a gold-flecked elastic band, and her toenails were painted pink. She had what was described as New York-style dental work. What's that mean? So it's basically dental work worth thousands of dollars. I've never heard of that phrase before, but when I looked into it, the general consensus was that it was aesthetic-type dental work. Like, it could be veneers or caps to make the teeth look the same length. It's basically more than just fillings, you know? Yeah. And they said even back then... Some of the crowns were five to ten thousand dollars, which is a lot that for the seventies. Because that's a lot now. That's a lot, yeah. So basically, it just goes to show she's taken a lot of time, and either her money or someone else's money into her, you know, her teeth. Yeah. Anyway, she had a lot of dental work done, but was missing several of her teeth. And they were thinking she probably had them all prior to the murder, so they were thinking that someone removed them to keep her identity a secret or something like that because a lot of the ones left were the capped teeth. She was also missing her hands and one of her forearms. And someone actually placed piles of pine needles in the sand in place of her hands, which is just kind of disturbing. That's super disturbing. The woman was almost decapitated and one side of her head was completely crushed in which was determined to be the cause of death. So the police thought that a military entrenchment tool was used. Good God. Yeah, so I didn't really know what that meant, and I looked it up. And the thought of being attacked with one of those things is horrifying. It's basically like a a shovel digging tool with this sharp edge, like a blade on the end of it. I'll post pictures of it because it's kind of hard to explain, but they were used in World War II as weapons in close-quarter combat, but at the same time, a lot of people used them 
like for camping in the sand, especially if in right. case there's an emergency, hikers, survivalists. So it's not something that's super unusual if you're, you know, in the wilderness a lot, if you're off-roading or anything. But anyway, she was also sexually assaulted after her death. Ugh, why do people do that? That's so... <sighs> I know. So they believe a block of wood was used. Good God. So her body, like I said, was in bad shape because of the time and insect activity. So there's some speculation they don't know for sure, but that maybe she was a sex she was sexually assaulted prior and they used the wood or whatever to um, you know, destruct the area so that they couldn't tell, or maybe that some of the, you know, semen wouldn't be in there. It's hard to really know why that would have been done. Or it could have just been done as a sick fantasy or who knows. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. So because of all the decomp, the age was a mystery. So forensics believe that she would be anywhere between the ages of 20 to 49, which is like... That's, that's, a, that's big, a big age range there. But they did say most likely between 25 and 35. But still, they don't know for sure. Um, they were able to determine that she was around 5'6". And weighed around 145 pounds with an athletic build. So authorities put together some sketches and facial reconstructions of how she may have looked. And from there, they searched through thousands of missing persons reports. And also, in the meantime, they tried to find dentists in the area that may have worked on her teeth. So they extensively searched the area for more evidence, but nothing was found. No dentist recalled working on her teeth. Nothing. But they had a few leads. So a woman from Maryland contacted authorities because she thought the woman could be her sister who also had auburn hair. And she said they lost touch after her sister moved to Boston a few months before the murder. But the odd thing is, is no one knows what happened to this lead. The trail ends there. There's no more information online about it. That's weird. Right. In 1987, a Canadian woman contacted the Canadian police to let them know that when she was just five years old, she saw her father strangle a woman while they were visiting Provincetown in 1974. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And get this. So the Canadian police passed this information along to Massachusetts police. But by the time Massachusetts tried to contact this lady, she had moved away and they were never able to track her down ever. Sounds like uh, so I, police work. It didn't say how long this had been, but, I mean, do they not have her at least name? I just thought that was strange. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you could probably do some digging there and find out who that woman was, but I don't know. There's also an interesting theory involving the movie Jaws. What? Yeah. So, Jaws was filmed, you know, in Cape Cod or Martha's Vineyard. But so, Stephen King's son, who is also an author, which I didn't know, named Joe Hill, was re-watching Jaws in 2015, and something interesting caught his eye. So he knew about the Lady of the Dunes because he'd grown up being in this area a lot, and I guess up there, it's not an urban legend, but you know what I mean. It's something that they talked about all the time. Well, he noticed that at 54 minutes into the movie, an extra was wearing a blue bandana and jeans, and the woman resembled the sketches. 
You're kidding. Nope. And so Jaws was filmed in Martha's Vineyard, and this is only a few hours away from Provincetown. And Jaws was filmed shortly before this murder occurred, too. But they did not keep any records of the extras. This woman was a total mystery. No one has identified her. No one knows who she is. So even Joe Hill himself says it's unlikely it's the Lady of the Dunes. But it's still an interesting coincidence, if nothing else. Yeah, super. And also, this woman has never came forward to say, hey, I'm that lady in Jaws, which maybe she doesn't know anyone's looking for her. It's just kind of strange. And I did find stills of this scene, and her hair looks dark brown, in my opinion. But the thing with auburn hair is it can look brown. It can look red. red, Yeah. Different lighting, you know. So, And I also wish we knew more about the bandana, because... The one in the extras wearing looks kind of like it's solid blue. I'm not for sure. It's kind of fuzzy, but I don't ever, I didn't ever find what type of pattern the blue bandana was. Part of me also wonders too how she was wearing it, like the, I don't know what you call it, like the drape style or like a headband. And some people even wore them as tops. Right. You know, so she could have been wearing it as a shirt. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So no one really knows. So, to this day, we have no idea who Lady of the Dunes is. Who murdered her, though? So, a man named Haddon Clark came forward in 2000 and confessed to killing her. That's suspect. But, authorities believe this to be a false confession. So, he is currently in prison in Westover, Maryland, and is serving two 30-year sentences. So, he definitely has a record. In 1986, he murdered six-year-old Michelle Dore. Yeah, and he murdered Laura Hoteling in 1992. So, yeah, he was definitely capable of murder. So, authorities have only been able to confirm those two murders, but he's confessed to murdering dozens of people starting to when he was a teenager. He kind of reminds me of that confession killer. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name, Henry something. Yeah. Where he... Confessed to doing all these things and almost over the top when they knew for a fact he did not do some of these they things. They just want the attention. And yeah, it's very strange. It, yeah. But, like, we know he did kill a couple of people, but we don't know to what extent it ends. So he also claimed he buried evidence from the crimes in his grandfather's garden and that he also knows the identity of the woman but won't tell mm-hmm. authorities because he says authorities mistreated him. So he's just going to hold that information. Again, I think it's because he doesn't know who she is. But so in December 15th, 2000, he did lead police to his grandparents' former property. And they found a plastic bucket with more than 200 pieces of jewelry. And one of the items was Laura's high school class ring, Mm. the second woman he killed. He says that all of these items were trophies he kept. So that's a lot of jewelry for yeah. just two women. Again, he could have stolen it, gotten it from other people. We don't really know for sure. So another problem in knowing things is that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia long before all this happened, and it was hard to gauge what was real and what wasn't. For example, he was convinced his cellmate was Jesus, like 100% convinced of this. <laughs> So there were something, it was just kind of hard to believe anything he said Mm -hmm. because he was so convinced of certain things that they knew weren't true. 
But they still did not think he was the one responsible for the murder of Lady of the Dunes. And they didn't really get into why, but I'm thinking they probably didn't connect him in that area because he's from Maryland, which isn't that far away, but they didn't really get into that. So I can only speculate. There's another suspect. Infamous mob boss, James Whitey Bulger. Come on. Whitey. Have you heard of Whitey? Oh, yeah. I have a book about him. You have a book about him? Oh, my gosh. I'm a super nerd. I love stuff like that. So you know why he's named Whitey then? Yes, I do. he's a blondie. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We had a guy that went to our high school that's nickname was Whitey because he had, like, white blonde hair, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's not super unique. But anyway... So, there were witnesses that remember seeing him in the area with a similar-looking woman around the time of the murder. He was also a regular at the Crown and Anchor in Provincetown. So, from what I read up, that is a gay bar that has awesome mac and cheese and drag race performances. So, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. So... Another thing that pointed suspicions onto him was that he was known for trying to erase his victims' identities, which killed, like, he would pull out their teeth and that kind of thing. The thing is, though, he didn't really target women. So this is just my speculation again, where he killed men usually, but a theory out there is that maybe he went to this bar because he was bisexual or something, who knows, and that maybe this woman wanted to out him. And that, but I still don't really think that's super likely. But, you know, and some people speculate that he was into sex trafficking and this woman, he was trying to traffic her. But at the same time, I'm not sure why he would have murdered her. So there's just, this is kind of all speculation to the Whitey guy. There's not much that ties him to this other than really he was in the area a Mm -hmm. lot. There's not a whole lot there, but he did have a really long rap sheet. And was killed in 2018 by other inmates in prison. They beat him to death and they put uh, padlocks in socks. That's what they oh, used. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. I think they cut out part of his tongue. It oh was my God. really. And he was an old man at this point. Ugh. Yeah, he had a really long rap sheet, though, like I said. So he was capable of this type of murder. But is it really likely? I mean, it was just no one knows. And, like, he was murdered, so we will never hear it from him. They do have her DNA, and she has been exhumed twice. The most recent time was in 2000. And after that, they did keep her skull, or at least part of her skull, for in case they need it in the future. They ran her DNA against a missing woman named Rory Jean Kissinger. But it turned out to not be a match. So they were at least able to rule out someone is not her, I guess. Right. Better than anything. She was buried at St. Peter's Cemetery in October of 1974. And if anyone has any information, please contact the Provincetown Police Department at 508-487-1212. And if we have any New Englanders listening or people that grew up in this area, growing up, hearing about this case or whatever, I want to hear your thoughts on this case. Oh, I do too. Tell, shoot us an email at unitedstatesofmurder at gmail.com. I love getting messages from people, especially talking about their hometown murders, and I've never heard of this. I don't know how, but it's so strange. And also, oh, another fun fact, well, ish. So I read a Ranker article speculating that the Lady of the Dunes might have an appearance on the next season of American Horror Story. 
What? Yeah. They haven't confirmed it because they haven't given away the plot. Yeah, I was going to say. But they're, they're speculating based, I guess, on one of the um, – I looked at it. The poster has a woman, like, with her hands crawling up. I mean, I know this woman didn't have them, but pine needles under it and what looks like a beach town in the background, like Cape Codish. <sighs> so they're just speculating on that. But that that's, would be a good one. That's kind of interesting. So I got a lot of my info from Medium and Cape Cod Times. This case is one that's – Driving me bonkers because I'm gonna uh, give it a goo when we're it's, done. So one thing is interesting too, and I'm gonna post all of this. They did, I don't even know, like seven, eight reconstructions, pictures, and mm-hmm. they all look different to me. They don't look like the same person. Not really. And then one of them, she has auburn red hair, and none of the other ones they do. It looks brown, mm-hmm. and she almost kind of looks native or. Maybe, I don't know. They had mentioned they did have a big Portuguese population there. Maybe maybe of Portuguese descent. It's hard to say. It's just based on their... Because when I hear like red hair, auburn hair, white, I think of, okay, she might be of Irish descent or uh-huh. something. None of the pictures look like that to me. I don't know. That's just my theory. They did have one, one single one where she has red hair and they put freckles on her. And then the rest of them, she looks totally different. So they, it's just wild. It's all over the place. So I, I don't even know that anyone would recognize her. And another thing that kind of bugs me is that none of it show her teeth. And we know she spent a ton of money on her teeth. Mm-hmm. And they had at least some. I feel like they could have uh, mirrored it with reconstruction technology or mm-hmm. computers to kind of show what her teeth would look like. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a big thing. But, I mean, obviously, like, someone cared about her or she had the money and means to care about her own teeth, unless Whitey was the one paying for her dental work, or I don't know. Teeth are not cheap. They're not, especially when she had multiple crowns that are worth ten, five to $10,000. And there are also talks about DEA's meeting and potentially doing um, the same DNA type stuff they did for Joseph D'Angelo in mm-hmm. the Golden State Killer case. So I'm yeah, do that for all the Jane Doe's that they have. Yes. Because you have so many bodies that are unidentified and so many missing people. I feel like that could really solve a lot. But I know it's not as easy as submitting the DNA and you find someone. It's like they submit it and then they have to build a family tree from there. So it is a bit of a process and I'm sure it's not cheap. But still, I feel like that could really solve a lot of cases on Jane Doe's, John Doe's, but yeah, that's my mystery of the week. Mm. Now I'm going to have to look it up. So uh, where are we next week? California. So we're on the totally opposite coast. And we've not done California. Mm -mm. There's so many. I know. That's, someone asked about Florida and I'm like, the problem with Florida is there's too many things, kind of like California where, what do you pick? But it'll be interesting. That's for sure. They don't get snow like we got. Uh, no. Yeah, we weren't sure we were going to be able to put out an episode, but we are. Yay! Someone owns an SUV. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> it's me. Yeah, I hope everyone's staying safe and warm out there. I know we have a lot of Texas listeners. Oh, I feel for all of you all that's terrible. Definitely been thinking of you guys. If anyone understands how Southerners can't handle snow, it's me because I can't handle snow. Yeah. I've been walking around with trash, or not trash bags, 
uh, grocery store bags on my feet because I don't own anything that covers my ankles. I get super annoyed reading all the comments from people up north making fun of the South. <laughs> I know. Because of the weather. We're not ready for this. It's, we're not prepared. We don't get this kind no. of weather. Like I, I honestly never thought I would see snow in Little Rock ever. N- well, I mean, you might get a dusting, yeah. but nothing to... Not even like an inch worth. But this, I was shocked. Yeah. We don't have the things that you guys have up north because we don't get this type of weather. Yeah. Much like you guys probably don't have... All the cooling systems that we have. I know when my dad would come down from Seattle, you know, the Pacific Mm -hmm. Northwest gets weather like this and it's business as usual because they have salt trucks and chains for their vehicles and their four-wheel drives or Mm -hmm. front-wheel drives or all-wheel drives. Like, we don't have all those things here. But he would come visit in Arkansas and be, like, melting in the summer. Oh, yeah. He could not handle. He'd be like, oh, I'm so dying. I'm like, it's June. Wait till August. I complain a lot in the (laughs) summer, too. (laughs) Wait till it gets hot and you cannot breathe because the humidity. But they don't get that type of heat up there. Yeah, that's true. Every time I've been up there, I've noticed that it's strange. And they don't. Also, they don't really blast AC inside like we do down here, which I actually like because I'm always freezing when I go inside stores in the summer. Lacey just doesn't need to live anywhere because... (laughs) I will complain in all weathers, regardless. No, but um, yeah, I watched a... We walked to downtown, and I watched a snowplow truck, and it took them almost three times down one of the main streets to get enough snow off to where it wasn't terrible, and they were throwing dirt on it afterwards. I don't know. Like I said, we're not not prepared for this. It's been wild. And it's been awful, the things that have happened with the power being shut Mm -hmm. off and people losing heat and water. And it's not funny. It's not a laughing matter. It's very serious. I'm very grateful that that didn't happen to us. Keep your rude-ass opinions to yourself (laughs) when it comes to making fun of people in situations that are literally causing people to die. Mm -hmm. And I was in Austin two years ago this time, like it popped up on my Time Hop app. And it was 80-something degrees. Insane. It was amazing. Insane. It felt like summer. And now there's, you know, they don't have any water because of the snow. But I know a lot of places, <gasps> even close to Arkansas, like Memphis was under a boil order. Mm-hmm. Um, some yeah. places close to us. Yeah. Was it Benton or Bryant? One of them are under a boil order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely it's not, no joke. not funny. <sighs> so, But... Some people were able to play in it and have a good time, yeah. so that was nice that we're not used to being able to... Yeah, it was nice yeah. in one sense. I mean... But we're, we're over it now. Yeah, I'm ready to uh, drive again. I've been... I haven't driven. I'm afraid my car won't start again. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no. Samuel drove it to work today, so it does run. I know that. He couldn't get his Prius up the parking lot. He tried, and he had to take my car. Oh, Lord. Which isn't a four-wheel drive either, so I don't... Hey, the Corolla got it. So next week, we're in sunny California. Yeah, and I think they're the Golden State. Sure. Or maybe that's just because of the killer and the basketball team, but (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Stay tuned. Stay tuned as we find out which state we're in. (laughs) Um, Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash United States of Murder. Follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder. Facebook, Twitter, US of M Podcast, all the things. Um, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. That's kind of how we get noticed. 
and pop up in random countries. Yes. Feeds. Hi, Denmark. Hi, Denmark. We showed up in your true crime list, and we love you. We love it. Um, we also have a special guest today. He's had his earmuffs on this entire recording. His headphones, his not headphones. earmuffs. <laughs> Watching his YouTube videos. Yeah, he's he's it's, been in the corner because he doesn't listen to all this stuff. Obviously, we're not having him. It's bring your kid to work it's day. It's bring your kid to work day, yep. <laughs> That's what Snow does. He doesn't know it yet because he can't hear us, but he's about to say hi. He really wanted to Max, say something. Take your headphones off. It's your time to shine. Hi. <laughs> he, he, he's really a social butterfly. He's just shy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week. week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.